Thank you, Dolly. How do you like a woman praying in the class, huh? In this male-dominated class. Next, women will want to be on the President's Council. Uh, how many men clap for that? Let me see. Only those that were hint-packed, okay? Good to see Mrs. Schroeder back again. Is your husband with you? There he is. Good to see you back from Naples, Florida. It's, uh, you have a good time down there? No hurricanes while you were there? It's good, huh? Oh, great. And if you're visiting with us, we're glad you're with us as well. Uh, we're studying in the Gospel of Luke, so take your Bible if you have one. If you don't, there should be one on your table. And turn to Luke's Gospel. And last week we began a new section in the Gospel. And we saw that Jesus was in the synagogue in chapter 13, verses 1 through 20 or 10 through 21. And he was uh, healing a woman who had been sick for 18 years, and he was teaching about the kingdom of God. And he talked about the kingdom of God. He said it starts out small. That's how it begins. And it ends up large, and you can't miss it. And in his first coming, Jesus begins the kingdom in some way, and it starts off small. What he does in that synagogue seems to be so insignificant. He heals this woman. But the ruler of the synagogue thought it was so insignificant significant that he said, you should have done that on Monday. Not on the Sabbath day. What are you doing working on the Sabbath? And Jesus turns around and he says, well, that's what the kingdom's like. It looks like it's insignificant. Hidden behind four walls of a synagogue and passerbys don't even know what God's doing. But one day it'll become apparent that God is in control of this whole world when he brings the kingdom in in great power. So now Luke continues his story, and we pick up at verse 22. That's Luke 13 and verse 22. And he went through the cities and the villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. So he is going to continue moving toward Jerusalem where he will face his death. And that one verse summarizes... We have no idea how many days have passed, how many more synagogues Jesus has gone into, what cities he's gone into. They're not mentioned. But Luke puts this account, these next few verses here, because they have a logical connection with what happened in the previous verses. So verse 23 says, Then one said to him, Lord, are there few who are saved? Now, this morning, the pastor talked about salvation and judgment and how can God allow so many people to be judged. And they're asking this question, Lord, in verse 23, are there few who are saved? Now, what causes them to ask this question? Uh, theologians and New Testament scholars believe that there was a popular belief circulating during Jesus' day that only a few people would be saved. In fact, there are a lot of books that were written during Jesus' day, not biblical books, but religious books, books that didn't make it into the Bible. You've heard of those kind of books? Apocryphal books? 
Now, everything that these apocryphal books says uh, is not true. But some of the things that they say in there are true. And people were reading these books just as they read Left Behind and they read the Joel uh, Rosenberg series and they read books like that. And they read secular books and they read historical books. And books in our society mold people's beliefs. And these books molded people's beliefs. And there was one book called Second Ezra. And in Second Ezra, the writer says, God made this world for the many. But the world to come for the few. And so what the writer was saying, this world is uh, inhabited by everyone. But the world to come, the kingdom of God, is only going to be for the few. And you know who those few are going to be? Pious Jews. Now, <clears throat> Jews that don't keep the law, like tax collectors, they're not going to be in that kingdom to come. And certainly Gentiles won't be in the kingdom to come. So this was a, a quote, probably, from that book saying, Lord, are there only a few who are being saved? Now, why would they ask that question? Not only because of the book, but because I think that they see a contradiction happening before their very eyes. Guess who is rejecting the gospel message of the kingdom? The pious Jews. Guess who's accepting it? The ones that don't keep the law. The ones that are unclean. And they're getting a little confused. And so they say, Lord, are there just a few who are being saved? And so he said to them, at the end of verse 23, Strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Now, I want to settle on this verse for a moment. And I want you to notice several things. First of all, I want you to notice the verb tenses. The verb tenses. First, strive. Do you see that? That's present tense. Right now, you should be striving to do something. Okay? And then, look toward the end of the verse. He says, for many will seek. Look, will seek. And will not be able. You see that? That's future tense. You see that? So you have Jesus describing two things. Something that's happening now, or should be happening now, and that is you should strive to enter that gate. But he also talks about something, because in the future, many will strive to enter that gate, and they're not going to be able to. So you have two verb tenses, and it's very important that you see that. Now notice who the people are mentioned, the people mentioned here. There are two groups. First, the group who strives. Now notice, you just have the verb, strive to enter. Uh, who's he speaking to? The crowd that's right there with him. So it would read like this. If you're an English teacher, you know that not all verbs have subjects right next to them. Sometimes the subject's implied, isn't it? And guess who he's speaking to? He's speaking to that crowd. He says, you strive. Remember the question. Lord, are few going to be saved? And guess what he said? Well, let me, let me give you something that's really important. The important thing is that you strive. Right now, to enter into that Okay. See, you strive. And there's a second group. For many, I say to you, 
will seek to enter and will not be able to. So here we see that there is the you right now and there's the many in the future. Okay? So we're going to stay at this verse just again for another moment. Notice the instructions. They are instructed to strive. Strive to do what? Strive to what? Enter. You see that? Enter. Why are they to strive to enter right now? Look. For many, I say to you, in the future will seek to enter. And will what? Not be able. Now watch. What are they to do? Strive to enter. Why? Because in the future, many will try to enter and will not be able. Why? Not that they can't. He doesn't say many will try to get in in the future and can't. He says they won't be able. They won't have the ability in the future. But evidently, you have the ability right now. You see that? If you strive. Why won't the many be able to get in in the future? They waited too long. That's the difference between the now and the then. They waited too long, and now they are not able. And that's why you have to come to Christ today. Now, what are they striving to get into? Look what it says. Strive to enter through the gate. Literally, it's a door. What kind of a door? A narrow door. Now, it doesn't say walk through the narrow door. Mosey on through the narrow door. What does it say? Strive to get through that door. That's an athletic term. It means uh, just like an athlete is, is uh, struggling to, to, to do something. And that's what you have to do. You have to struggle to get through this door. Why do you have to struggle to get through the door? Because it's narrow. It's narrow. A whole bunch of people. Guess what? Since it's narrow, and it's hard to get in there right now. Uh, but you need to strive to do it, because it's open to you right now. But in the end, many are going to try to get into that door, and guess what? They're not going to be able, because many trying to get into a narrow door, guess what's going to happen? <laughs> There's going to be a log jam. That's like uh, 30 people trying to get on the elevator that only holds 10. You just don't get 30 on an elevator that holds 10. Now, we might be able to push an 11th or 12th or a 13th on, but you really have to struggle to do that. But guess what? If you got to the elevator early, if you were the first person that got to the elevator and you stood right in front of the elevator door when it opens, guess what? You walk in. But if you get there late and you're in the back, you're the 31st person. Now, you know what happens when those elevator doors open? Maybe not so much at our age. But let me tell you, with college students and young people, they fight for that room on that elevator. 
I remember when I was a high school student, I had to take a bus, and I had to transfer to go to school on two different buses, sometimes three buses. And uh, we'd all be on the corner. Now, when that bus arrived, we're not talking about a school bus, we're talking about a metropolitan type of bus. That bus arrived, it was already three quarters full when it arrived on that corner. And we would have, you know, 40 or 50 people waiting to get on that bus. And that door is very narrow. Now, you have to understand, I'm sort of competitive. <laughs> and I wanted to make sure I got on the bus because if you missed it, it was another 20 or 30 minutes before the next bus came. And my school was miles away. So you know what I would do? I mean, I would be manipulating. When that bus comes, I mean, I'm, I'm walk, walking that curb, trying to figure where it's going to stop, you know, and uh, hoping that I can get right in front of right where the door is so I can get on, because everybody, as soon as that door opens, everybody rushes, strives to get on. And there have been many times that that door opened here, and I was right here, and there was enough people there, and they pushed, and I'd elbow and, and get right in, and then the door would close right in behind me, and I'm standing there on the bus like that, and I'd have to ride for 20 minutes of school on the bus like that, because that's how it was. Now, what we had, but guess what? The people that were over here, the people that didn't manipulate, the people who didn't try to get into a position, or the people who said, we're over here pulling around and talking to their friends. Ah, oh, here comes the bus. And it starts to pull up. They say, I think I'll go get the bus. <laughs> See, they, they waited. They waited, and guess what? They're not able to get on the bus. Now, that's just the way it is, okay? So that's what we have right here. Now, the door, this narrow door, I believe will show, we will see in the passage, is the door to the kingdom. But it's too late for most of the people, the many, to get on the bus. And so Jesus says, yes, the answer is few will be saved. And the reason few will be saved is because most of the people will wait too late. And if you wait too late and that door opens, guess what? You just don't make it in. Because everybody's trying to get in at the last moment. Does that make sense? Uh, this is what Jesus is talking about. <clears throat> Uh, he is basically taking this teaching, and he is, uh, what we could say, if you went to the Old Testament, you would see it with Noah's Ark. Where Noah says, I'm going to build this ark, and uh, once it's built, you got seven days to get on. Seven days to get on. And you know what the story says. It says that people, when Noah said, it's time to get on. <laughs> no one listened to him. Now, he and his family got on. There were eight of them that got on and all the animals, but guess what? Then it started raining, and the scripture said, as that first drop came down, God shut the door, and at that moment, they all rushed. <laughs> they wanted to get on. But guess what? It was too late. They were not able to get on Noah's ark. That's what you have a picture of. So, what is Jesus teaching? Strive right now to get in, because you can get in if you do it now. But if you wait too late, you won't be able to get it. And to drive this point home, he tells a parable. Look at verse 25. That's a very interesting picture that Jesus draws for us. Remember, this is a story to drive a point home. He says, when once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door. 
That's the setting in this parable. The man who owns the door, owns the house, shuts the door. Okay? Look what happens. And you begin to stand outside and knock on the door saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. Now notice he's already shut the door. You see that? That door is shut. Very interesting if you look at the words, the next part of the sentences. And you, look at this, begin to stand outside and knock. Look, you began too late. You began to knock after the door was closed. You began to say, open, open, open. You should have been there while the door was open. It had been open for a long time. Amen. You see, this is describing a party or a banquet. This guy has invited some people into this to his house for a party or a banquet, some sort of dinner. RSVP. And uh, they didn't respond in time. He probably wait a little extra. They don't show up, closes the door, and suddenly they decide to arrive fashionably late. <laughs> and the door is closed. They say, open up, let us in. But the door is closed. They began too late. And he will answer and say to you, I do not know you. Where are you from? I do not know you means I don't know your name. Now, what they were doing is they were saying, uh, we had an invitation. This is Allen Street. Or I'm from the family of, and he says, that doesn't matter. The party's already begun. I don't know you. And evidently, and by the way, you know from other lessons that when people had meals, they, it was a status symbol. They invited certain people. Certain families were invited to certain meals, and people of the same class were invited to certain meals, and other people were shut out. And these are people who have the status they should be in this meal, but guess what? Their status means absolutely nothing. They say, we are of the, you know, Bush family. And they said, well, you know, Bush, Tush. You know? <laughs> Who cares about Bush? That, that, that means nothing now. See, getting into this particular banquet that Jesus is describing has nothing to do with your family name. Amen. It has nothing to do with your status. It has nothing to do with your lot in life. That will not get you into this particular banquet. Amen. It will not... Your ancestry means absolutely nothing. That won't get you into this particular banquet. And then look at verse 30, 26. It says, Then you will begin to say, Hey, look, they're just beginning again. See, they began too late. They will begin to say, Well, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught us in, your, in our streets. Now notice the pronouns here. <clears throat> you notice the pronouns? Jesus says, then you will begin to say. Now, this is a parable. And guess what he does? Right in the middle of the parable, he just switches the pronouns. He says, really, this parable is about you. I'm really not talking about a master. I'm not talking about uh, some people who didn't make it to the party on time. Uh, just so that you don't miss the meaning of this story, I'm really talking about you. You're the people who made it too late. And uh, I'm the master. 
So it says in verse 26, then you will begin to say, well, we ate and drank in your presence. See, they make an appeal to these past associations they had with Jesus. You should know us. What do you mean you don't know us? We, we ate with you. Remember when we sat down to dinner? We, we ate with you. And you taught us in, our, in your streets, in our streets. You passed around town one time. And, and all that's true, but guess what? That was a very superficial re relationship that they had. They ate with Jesus. They heard him preach. But guess what? They never embraced his mission. And they never responded to his preaching by repenting. R-S-V-P. Respondez-vous, if you believe. Jesus issues an R-S-V-P. It's repent. You repent. If you please, that's what's going to get you in. And uh, they, he says, in your relationship was very superficial. Like church members have a very superficial relationship. Now look what he says. He says, but he will say, now he goes back to the story, but he will say, I tell you, I do not know you. Where you are from. We'd say, we have Abraham as our father, you know. I don't know you, where you're from. Depart from me, all you workers of what? Of iniquity. They heard him teach in their streets. That's not good enough. It takes more than being a hearer of the word. What do you have to be? A doer of the word. They had to reorient their life. See, that's what repentance means. In light of the teaching, they should have reoriented their life toward the kingdom. They should have reoriented their life toward the reign of God. Instead, they wanted to rule their own lives. And he says, too late. You had the chance back when. You should have strove to get in the, the gate at that time. But now it's too late. The door's been closed. And you're just beginning to try to get in. And you're not able to get in. You're workers of iniquity. You did not reorient your life. And so now you're trying to get in at the last moment. And it doesn't work that way. Now look at verse 28. Jesus says, and it shows you this is a picture of the end times. It's a picture of trying to get into that future kingdom. Jesus said, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets, where? In the kingdom of God. See, you've waited too late to get into the kingdom of God. You could have gotten into the kingdom right now by repenting right now, and that's what you need to do. But you waited too late, and now the kingdom in its fullness has arrived. Remember, it started, this is how it's related to the last week's lesson. It starts out small, like a little mustard seed or a little bit of yeast, but then one day it grows and it arrives in its fullness. And uh, what you didn't notice before, you paid no attention to, suddenly you can't ignore and the kingdom has now come in its fullness, and you're trying to get in, and it's too late. And now you're shut out, and you, there will be weeping. There will be mourning. You'll say, the kingdom's arrived. There's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets. <clears throat> By the way, how did they treat the prophets? Yeah, they killed the prophets. But the prophets are in the kingdom. And there's weeping, and there is gnashing of teeth, there's grinding of teeth, there's mourning, and there's rage. 
They want to get in that kingdom, but it's too late to get in the kingdom. They're frustrated. And so he says, and you yourselves, at the end of verse 28, are thrust out. You're not in the kingdom. And they, now look at this. Now here's another group. And they will come from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south. People from all over, not even Jews, Gentiles, Ethiopians from the south and Asians from the east. And they will sit down in the kingdom of God. But guess what? You're out. Now remember what the question was? Lord, are a few saved? <laughs> And he's saying, yes, and you need to make sure that you're one of them. And there's one way that you can do it. Strive to enter in now. Because in the end, when the kingdom comes in its fullness, the door will be shut. If you try to get in then, you won't be able. Now, the unclean will be in there. The tax collectors will be in there. The prostitutes will be in there. The beggars will be in there. Why? Because when they heard the gospel... They repented. They reoriented their lives. The Gentiles will be in there. Sitting in the kingdom. What are they sitting down doing? Eating. See? The kingdom's a banquet. Jesus always pictures the kingdom as sitting at a table, reclining, eating a tremendous feast. And so, all these people will be in the kingdom, but the ones that he's speaking to may not. And so, this is a warning. And then he says in verse 30, And indeed, there are the last who will be first. There's the tax collector. There's the prostitute. There's the sick person. There's the unclean person. The people that you say have no status in society, they'll be first. And there are first who will be last. And there are first. And you're first. But guess what you are going to be? Last. Because you haven't reoriented your life toward the kingdom. So the nobodies become somebodies, and the people who are somebodies in this world, if they don't reorient their life toward Christ, are nobodies and do not get into the kingdom. Now I want you to notice that there were three doors here, least implied. First of all, in verse 24, there's the narrow door. That's a door that exists right now. Strive to enter the narrow gate, the narrow door. Right now. That door is an open door. It's open to anybody who will strive to get in. That means making an about face. Okay? So we have that opportunity. Then in verse 25, there's a shut door. There's a closed door. That's the door in the future. That same door who's up, that's open now will be closed in the future to the self-righteous who thought that their name and their status and that their children of Abraham and every other reason would get them in. That's a closed door. But then in verse 29, he tells us that many shall come and they will be in the kingdom. So evidently, even in verse 29, even in the end there's a wide door, but it's a wide door for those who have repented. 
So that is what Jesus teaches right here. Now, verse 31 through the end of the chapter uh, fits in with this scenario. We're going to go through it very quickly, and you'll see the context. Now, look at verse 31. On that very day, right when he got finished teaching all this that he just said, some Pharisees came saying to him, Get out! Depart from here! Get out of town! Because Herod wants to kill you. Okay. So, you need to leave. Now, notice who warns Jesus, some Pharisees. Now, Pharisees as a whole were against Jesus, but there were some that he ate with and he talked with. We know that Joseph of Arimathea was a Pharisee. He got saved. Nicodemus. So, there are some. So, some Pharisee says, Jesus, you need to get out of town. Herod wants to, to kill you. Notice that word, once. Herod is after Jesus. This is Herod's agenda. Herod's agenda is to kill Jesus, but Jesus has an agenda. And Jesus couldn't care less about Herod's agenda. <laughs> and uh, look what he says in verse 32. And he said to them, well, go tell that fox. Uh, Behold, I cast out demons. I perform cures. Today and tomorrow... And the third day, I shall be perfected. Now, what is he saying here? Uh, they are saying, Jesus, hightail it out of town. The law's on, on your trail. Herod wants to kill you. And Jesus says, go tell Herod to jump in the lake. I've got another agenda. I'm going to heal, I'm going to cast out demons, and on the third day... My goal will be reached. I will do everything. I've got another agenda. It's God's agenda. And it will be perfected or it will be completed. It will be, I will reach that goal. His goal, Herod's goal, very interesting, is to kill people. Jesus' goal is to heal people. Jesus' goal is to set people free. Herod's goal is to throw people in jail. Jesus' goal is to liberate and rescue people. See, Now, when he uses the word fox, it doesn't mean, although we've heard this thousands of times, it means that, uh, tell that old fox, that old sly fox. It doesn't really mean that. That's a saying that we use in America, sly is a fox. It wasn't a Hebrew saying, okay? It's an American saying. When he's using fox, he's using fox as a predator, as an animal that's on the prowl, the fox in the chicken house, who's out to destroy and kill. And here is Herod being used by Satan, in a sense, to destroy the work of God. And uh, he says, just, that, you know, he says, I'm not going to follow his agenda. I'm not going to follow somebody that's empowered by Satan. I've got God's agenda. Now, when he says second day and third day, obviously, that probably has some sort of symbolic meaning to the resurrection, although he doesn't say it, so I'm not going to bring it out at this point. But I think that if, when you see that, it makes you think of the resurrection. It makes you think that Jesus is going to die, isn't it? It's not going to be Herod that kills him, though. <laughs> It'll be Pilate. Uh, Jesus is going to follow God's agenda. Herod's not going to kill him on his way to Jerusalem. Jesus has a goal to reach. 
Jerusalem. That's where he will be crucified. But on the third day, he'll be raised. He'll be perfected. Amen. So probably that we should see that in this passage, even though it doesn't mention it. just mentions the tomorrow, today, tomorrow, and then the third day. Okay. And then he says, nevertheless, I must journey today and tomorrow. I am going to get out of town and the day following. But guess what? Not because Herod says so. Not because he's trying to kill me. Because I have a journey that I have to take. And the following day, look at the end of verse 33. For it cannot be that a prophet should perish outside of Jerusalem. And that's where he will go. And that's where he will perish. He will die in Jerusalem. This is God's plan for him. And then he says in verse 34, oh, Jerusalem. When he says Jerusalem, it just grabs him. He gets real emotional. He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. Sent to her by whom? God. The one, she's, she doesn't even know God's agenda. She kills the, God's messengers and she stones. Remember Stephen was stoned because he preached the gospel? How I wanted to gather you, watch this, and your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. Notice, this is what Jesus says that he wants to do. He wants to uh, protect Jerusalem. Uh, he is God's mess Messiah who has come to bring deliverance to Jerusalem. He wants to protect her like a mother hen gathers her wings around her chickens to protect it. Now what's a fox want to do? I think he wants to eat the chickens, doesn't he? See, this is the difference between Jesus and Herod. Jesus is there to protect. He's the Messiah. That's what he wants to do. And guess what? They reject the prophets. We don't want to hear your message. Now, he doesn't want to protect them. This is a simile. He wants to protect them like, like, as a mother hen protects her chicks. But he's not a mother hen. He's the Messiah, and he wants to protect Jerusalem from judgment to come. That will fall on that city. But she won't listen. Guess what she'll do to Jesus instead? She'll put him to death, just like she's done all the other prophets. And then look what he says in verse 35. See your house. See, they wouldn't listen. This is sort of prophetic insight. They won't listen to him. And he says, take a look. This vision that he's casting for them. Your house is left desolate. Your children are killed, they're scattered, and assuredly I say to you, you shall not see me until the time comes when you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Judgment is going to fall on Jerusalem. We know that judgment falls on Jerusalem in 70 AD when they're scattered and the temple's torn down and Titus, the Roman uh, emperor, invades the city and the Jews are scattered around the world and do not have a homeland again until 1948. But most likely, he's not talking about that. He's probably talking about that final judgment. When it falls, then it's too late for them to escape. They should have gotten under the protection when they could have. They had an opportunity. Now's the day of salvation. Now's the accepted time. Now's the time to repent. Because when the judgment falls and doors close, then it's too late. 
See, that's the one thing that Jesus is trying to get across. And it's true that he comes in on Palm Sunday, and some people say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, but they're probably his followers that say that. Uh, this is probably a reference to those who are going to be saved at the end time when the kingdom is set up and when the Messiah comes and all the people who have repented into the kingdom and they welcome the Messiah back and they say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But for those who rejected him, it's not going to be a blessing for them. It's going to be judgment. So, if I could derive from this passage of Scripture one lesson, the lesson is this. The door to the kingdom is open now. And it's open for everyone. But there'll come a day when it's closed. And it'll be too late. The door's open. The door's open for everyone. The door's open for you. Right now. But we need to reorient our lives toward Christ and the kingdom. Otherwise, unfortunately, we'll be surprised. Because the door will be shut. And then we'll be too late. We pick up with chapter 14 and verse 1 next week. Okay? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this lesson. We thank you that we can have a Sunday school class where we can take the Bible seriously. We can go down verse by verse. Next time, Lord, we get on the elevator, or we get on a bus, or we the doors open to a department store or a great sale. And we see the crowds trying to rush through those narrow doors to get to the sale. May we remember this scene that we read today. May it forever be with us. Lord, help us to come to Christ now. Help us to serve the Savior, not self. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. amen.